Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father, we are in such need of you. And Lord, I can think of just how many times just in the last week I have lived as though I'm not, as though I'm self-sufficient, that I can sustain myself. And I see how that idea just runs so contrary to so much of what we've just sang this morning. And so, Lord, I, I pray that this morning that you would correct our hearts in these ways. That you would reorient us to our absolute need of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So I just, obviously, you know, being, being good Midwesterners at church, I don't want you to answer me out loud, but I do want you to think about this. Why are you here today? Like, why, seriously, why did you wake up and come here? Did you know that for much of our society, and I, I'm scared to tell you this, a lot of people have like basically two Saturdays. Two days, they sleep in, they just do stuff. And the second Saturday for them, which is today, a lot of places offer great brunches with cheap mimosas. But you're here. We don't have any of those things. I, I guess some of our adult Bible fellowship classes do offer a brunch that could rival any establishment in town. If you're new, I recommend going down to the fireside room. <laughs> but why are you here? Why would you forego that so that you could stand, sit, and sing in unison with a bunch of people? Why would you, during the week, either get up early or stay up late to read a really old book, or to read what others say about that really old book? Why do some of you regularly meet with other people to talk about all the bad things you've done? Why on earth do you openly share your browsing history with other people? Why do you aim to hold marriage between one man and one woman in high esteem, going as far as to abstain from any other form of sexual expression. Why would you do that? Why would you claw and fight for sobriety when the other path just seems so simple? Why do we do these things that seem so contrary to who we naturally are? Why do we do all this? Why do we continually strive, work hard, and inconvenience ourselves? 
In short, we do it trusting that the Lord will keep all his promises. We work, we strive, we pray, we repent, we lose sleep. We, according to the world, miss out on things, trusting that the Lord will keep all his promises, that all of this will be worth it, that the Lord himself is fully worthy of all this and more. But if we're honest, I think we can say that nearly all of us, or probably all of us in this room, have had at least seasons of time where it felt more like routine than something truly good. And then, of course, we've had times where it's felt truly good and and a pleasure to walk with the Lord. But in feeling that all of this can be a routine, I just want to suggest that that's where we need good worship songs to disciple us. Good worship songs that tell us the true things of God. And as, these, we're, as we're going through the Psalms of Ascents, these, these people who are traveling to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices and to worship at the temple, these Psalms of Ascents serve as those good worship songs. Worshiping to help them worship. And the good worship song we're going to look at this morning to point us in these directions is Psalm 125. I invite you to read with me. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the, on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. The worshipers of God would sing this approaching Jerusalem, reminding themselves of why they went through the trouble of worship, why they followed the Lord instead of the nations. They sang this to remind themselves of the benefits of the Lord, of who he is and what he was doing. It was a song to remind them that there is a unique and profound security experienced by those who trust in the Lord. That the Lord offers something to his followers, to those who trust him, to his worshipers. The Lord offers something that no one else can, that no other culture can, that no other religion can, that no earthly king can. And here again, like a couple weeks ago, the worshipers are looking up at the hills, but this time they're not looking for help or a source of help or or as a reminder that they really need help. Now they're looking 
at the hills, and the hills and the mountains are, are bringing a metaphor, teaching them about the creator who made these mountains and who made them. The creation is pointing to the invisible qualities of God. These mountains teach us about who we can be as we follow the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Let me think of a mountain. I went out to Colorado as a kid, saw Long's Peak. Then a few years ago, I went out to Colorado and I saw Long's Peak. It looks the same. Same spot, still has that weird beaver thing you can see from a certain angle. It's the same. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. You think of all the things that push and pull on us. Paul telling Timothy and telling the church to not be easily swayed by every wind of doctrine, by all the foolish controversies that pull us in different ways. And then you think about Mount Zion. Let's just think about the, the literal mountain in this. And all the winds that had hit Mount Zion over the years, all the storms that had gone over it, all the wars that had happened around Mount Zion, all the peoples and nations that had traversed around it, the kings that Mount Zion had outlived. Do you ever find yourself in the midst of these culture wars that rage around us, feeling like the world is so uneasy? feeling like it can be pretty hard to know which way to go, wondering, oh, am I doing this right? Am I raising my kids right? Am I teaching them the right thing? Am I believing the right things? Because everyone around me is saying different stuff. You ever find yourself caught in that tension? Trust in the Lord. The unchanging God of heaven. Trust in him. The worshipers here take on this unchanging quality of God. It is a very spiritualized version of you are what you eat, except in this case it is you become what you worship. And if you worship selfishness, you become selfish. And if you worship the unchanging, almighty creator God of heaven, you become godly. You become immovable, like Mount Zion, abiding forever. God allows us to benefit from his character and nature in a way that keeps us tied to him and not to the world. He is the unchanging God, and that is why we can continue to trust his word. We don't have to wonder if God has changed his mind on the issues we are facing. There's no button in my Bible to check for a software update. It stays 
and continuing with the mountains, looking at this unique experience of profound security that we have as those who trust in God. He moves from one mountain to a range of mountains. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. This is how the Lord keeps us steadfast and abiding forever. He keeps us steadfast and abiding forever by surrounding us with himself. What an image and promise to hold on to. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what all of you are facing. I know what some of you are facing. But I know that there are many times when we need to be reminded that the Lord is not only with us, but surrounding us. And what, if, what if over the next couple weeks, just in your mind, think of what's this like super stressful thing that's weighing you down? right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's something at work. Someone you need to talk to about Christ and you don't know how you're going to do it. As that, as that thought, as that situation comes to mind and you feel yourself tensing up, would you remind yourself of verse 2 here? As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. As I'm going into this, this thing that feels absolutely impossible, the Lord is not only with me, he's surrounding me. I am encircled by the God of heaven. This really is an exclusive experience. Like Nebraska, it's not for everyone. But it is, watch it. It is for those who trust the Lord. It is for all who trust the Lord. And I don't know what it would be like, and I thank God that I don't know what it would be like to face these things without trusting God. But I certainly get glimpses every now and then as I seek to do things on my own understanding from time to time instead of trusting the Lord with all my heart and leaning not on my own understanding but acknowledging Him. And maybe you're here this morning and you're exhausted from doing this and everything completely on your own and you need to, for the first time this morning, put your trust in the Lord asking him to forgive your sins, asking him to clearly lead you, asking him to surround you as the mountains surround Jerusalem. I think it's helpful for us to realize that there's two general groups of people singing this song as followers of the Lord. There's one group who is singing this, and they're walking up and they, to Jerusalem, and they see these mountains, 
and they are just struggling with their own life. They have sick family members. They're, they're, they're struggling financially. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. They really feel stuck. And they look at this and they say, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They will abide forever. The Lord surrounds his people just like these mountains are surrounding Jerusalem. And they're singing this to remind themselves of that truth because they need that truth desperately. It's all they have to hold on to. And they are crying out to God to not let them be moved in this trial they're facing. Trusting that he is who he says he is. And there are those singing this song who are looking back at their lives, at the times where they felt like any day was going to be their last, and the Lord sustained them and carried them and blessed them and prospered them, and they are looking back and as a word of testimony, saying, those who trust in God will not be moved but abide forever. And I think we have both groups right here, right now. I think we have both groups here, right here, right now. That there's some of us here who are crying out because we don't know what tomorrow's gonna be and it feels like it could be the last. And it feels like, God, if this gets any worse, I have to give up. I can't do this anymore. And there are some of you who know exactly what that feeling's like and you're on the other side of it and you're praising God because he protects those and surrounds those who trust him. And here's what I need to tell you. We need each other. That those who are crying out, hanging on this promise, need those who are singing the same promise as a testimony. It's one of the blessings of being such an intergenerational church. It's because there's some of us who are hitting things for the first time. And there's some of you who have hit those things two or three times. And we need to know each other to benefit from that walk in Christ. There's a unique and profound security experienced by those who trust in the Lord. The Lord who keeps us from our greatest enemies. Because the psalm reminds us that he does that. He keeps us from our greatest enemies. Look at verse 3 here. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands and do wrong. Pastor Austin, you've written us some great songs to sing as a church. Can your next song include the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land of allotted to the righteous because that's a fantastic lyric even if it's just the scepter of wickedness shall not rest that is a fantastic lyric it may need to have kind of a metal vibe to really carry it out but I think we can do it but what does it mean here's the short of what it means and then I'm going to go into a little more detail so here's what it means that the authority that wickedness has shall not rule perpetually in the hearts of the righteous and move them away from walking with the Lord. 
The authoritative rule of wickedness will not rest perpetually in the hearts of the righteous, taking them away from walking with the Lord. Because, in case you haven't heard, they're like Mount Zion, which abides forever. But the scepter of wickedness is a real threat. And the people of God who sang this experienced this threat in a real way. And I would argue over history, they, they experienced it in three general ways that are really powerful. And these three general ways are still a pretty big threat to the church corporately and to believers individually. And so here's the first one. The first one is the, this, this scepter of wickedness being the, the kings and rulers and customs of the other nations. Specifically, let's think of Babylon here. Babylon came and took God's people out of God's land, put them in a foreign land, and said, you're going to do things our way now. And part of doing things our way is you're going to bow down to who we say you're going to bow down to. You're going to worship who we say you're going to worship. You're going to give allegiance to those things. And you're not going to heed God's word. Nebuchadnezzar telling Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going you're to bow down, you're going to worship, or you're going to be put in a furnace. Telling Daniel, you're going to stop praying to anyone but me. That wasn't Nebuchadnezzar that said that to Daniel. How does this happen? This overt, loud, and conspicuous changing of worship putting in altars and new customs, not of the Lord, absolutely still happens today. There are buildings called churches who do not preach that Jesus Christ is the one true way, truth, and life. They do not preach that there's no other name under heaven, but they treat Jesus like a good option while not the only option. They ordain sin and say God is okay with it now and make it really clear to the world that they do that. They, they put rainbow flags out in front of their church and say we are affirming and welcoming of all. It would be rather convenient if we could deal with our sin that easily, wouldn't it? The scepter finds its way into the church when those who claim to be God's servants get their definition of righteousness and salvation from the world and other religions and not from the word of God. That scepter of wickedness should not rest on the righteous. The other scepter of wickedness that these worshipers faced and we face in different ways is we'll put this as the national kings. For most of Israel's history and Judah's history, for most of that history, they had wicked kings. And most of the people of Israel and Judah would follow the spiritual life of those wicked kings. The kings would set up bales and asherahs on the high places 
And the people would go there. But the kings would also do something else. The kings would surround themselves with priests who would put spiritual language and biblical language around what they did. The kings would surround themselves with false prophets. Ahab was really good at this. And they'd get these false prophets around themselves who would say, God is going to bless you. Go into that war. The Lord is going to give your enemies into your hands. Those who remained faithful to God during those dark, dark years did so by noting the singularity of the start of this song. Those who trust in the Lord. Not those who trust in the Lord and a king with a smooth-talking prophet who may or may not be legit, but those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. And those who trusted in the Lord while all the nations of Israel and Judah were following after false prophets and false gods set for us a profound example. They trusted in the Lord, not in a king. They trusted in the Lord, not a policy. They trusted in the Lord, not a nation state. They trusted in the Lord himself and no other. And we need to be careful to follow their example. The church in America is in a very precarious position. We plainly see those who would seek to win more by just affirming sin, trying to ordain sin, and therefore they just lose their witness. But we need to see another threat. The threat of leaders who would raise up, surround themselves with false prophets, claim to be religious while having no tight rein on their tongue, and then, according to James, making their religion worthless. And over and over and over again, I see people lining up and believing the words of the false prophets around such leaders. Leaders who are wolves in sheep's clothing, thumbing their nose at justice for the poor, thumbing their nose at humility and meekness and what it means to be poor in spirit, saying they have no need to repent. Just like those who had ordained sin with a cultural symbol outside their building, these leaders ordained sin in a similar but maybe more subtle and dangerous way. It's just the sin they ordain is a bit different. Let us trust wholly in the Lord and no other. Maintain our witness as the body of Christ, elevating his name above all others. So we have the outside nations and their rule. We, we have the nation of Israel and wicked kings and the last threat of this, this scepter of wickedness that would seek to reign and rule and rest in our hearts is our own flesh. 
Paul got this in Romans 6, saying, who will deliver me from this body of flesh? Who will deliver me from the, the reign and dominion of sin? I think of God's warning to Esau. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. When we trust the Lord and no other, we say that Jesus is the one who can do this. He's the one who can remove that scepter of wickedness from me and put himself there. And this is also very much within the psalm a look forward. And we're going to get to this look forward in just a minute. But it's very much a look forward that Jesus is the one on the throne for all eternity. That it is his scepter that rests for all time on the righteous. And in recognizing the great danger, the scepter of wickedness that lies within my own flesh, I seek to make myself an instrument for God's passion instead of my own. We seek to make no opportunity for the flesh to gratify itself. We live in accountability and community express our trust to God however we can. We repent of our sins. And we trust God to protect us from the outcome of the scepter of wickedness, which would be that the righteous would stretch out their hands and do wrong. God is protecting us. He is surrounding us. And He is the one who is able to set our ultimate faith. Look at this petition. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. That's a great prayer request until you realize, I'm not that good. I'm pretty far from upright. But God can wash me and make me good. God can correct me and build me. And make me upright. And the Lord made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for me, so that I might be the righteousness of God. The Lord, in his power, he, he uses his power lovingly. Instead of just smiting me and destroying me, he uses his power, his infinite power, to do this crazy miracle where God would look at me and not see me, but see the righteousness of Christ. God answers this. He answers this prayer every time. And he does it with the greatest use of his power. And he goes from a request to a reality that those who turn aside to their crooked ways. Those who do not trust the Lord. The Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This ultimate peace comes as one day God removes the wickedness and those who trust in wickedness. And we have a new heavens and a new earth that is filled with those who trust the Lord and walk with him as his people.
And so I want to end with this plea. Trust the Lord of heaven who is able presently and eternally, who is able to presently and eternally keep you even in the face of your greatest enemy. This is why. This is why we do what we do. This is why we show up. This is why we, we sing in unison. This is why we study a really old book. This is why we confess our sins to one another because of what God alone can do. He alone can save us. He alone can set us. He alone can keep us. He alone can protect us from our greatest enemies in all the deceptive forms that wickedness can take. He alone can keep us and give us eternal life. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, the, the uphill climb out of our wickedness and to a place of stability and security is more than any of us can do on our own. And so, Lord, we, we ask for you. We ask for you, God, to continually point us to you. And Lord, we, we don't even ask, we don't even need to ask for you to do this, because this is what you do. We trust you and you care for us. And so, Lord, I ask this morning, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to trust you like these worshipers? That we may see you protecting us, that we may see you preventing that, that scepter of wickedness from resting on us. And that we may see you do good to those who are good and upright, to those you have made good and upright. You're a great and glorious God, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.